Hello and welcome to Happy Place with me, Fern Cotton. Today I'm chatting to someone who not only has infinite wisdom, but has also been both a friend and a mentor to me. It's Donna Lancaster. Most wild animals will run away from the storm. So the storm's coming, animals are running, running, running. And what are they doing? They're extending their pain and their distress because the, the storm's coming. And so what buffaloes do, they're so wise, is they are one of the few wild animals that turns around and runs towards the storm and through the eye of the storm. Why? To temporarily feel the extremities of it and then move through it. Donna has worked as a coach and therapist for more than 30 years and she's the co-creator of The Bridge Retreat. The Bridge was a deep dive retreat that a few of my friends had been on and had waxed lyrical about telling me how utterly game-changing it was. The Bridge isn't still active as a retreat but Donna has written a book with the same name explaining the exact process that everybody will have gone through during those amazing life-affirming retreats. Donna has such a brilliant way of explaining and exploring grief and not just grief in the way we generally think of it, the loss of a loved one, for example, but really the heartbreak that comes with losing parts of ourselves, whether you're mourning a loss of health, the loss of a childhood, maybe a loss of your creativity. All those feelings are valid and can be worked through both mentally and physically. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, here it is. Let's get on with it. This is the show. Donna Lancaster. Hello. So happy to have you on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. This has been such a long time coming and we've made it happen. We've found a date that works. Here we are and we're just going to chat the shit out of life. Nice. That's all we've got to do. So, So just for the listener's benefit, I'll describe how I met you and I guess we can talk a bit about our friendship. So I heard your name being battered about quite a lot a few years ago, there were sort of multiple people who were unrelated in my life who kept saying, the bridge, the bridge, Donna Lancaster. And I was like, what is this bridge thing? And one of my friends then connected us, which has led to a beautiful friendship. Um, And obviously a couple of my friends went on the bridge. So tell us what the bridge was, Mm. perhaps how it's also evolved today. Well... So the Bridge Retreat was a six-day personal development residential, so you stayed, retreat for six days. So it was really a retreat that we set up, Gabby and I, Gabby Kruger, who's my co-founder for the Bridge, and we set up the retreat to offer a space where people could basically step back from life, which is what retreat means, to retreat from their everyday life, and then to just basically come and work on any blocks 
in their life, emotional blocks, any kind of what I call heartbreaks, any um, pain that they're suffering, emotional pain that they're suffering, so that they can start to feel a little bit more in flow again, which is what we all want, is to feel that we're in flow rather than constricted, shut down um, and blocked. And so we set that up and we wanted to, when we first set it up, and we had a really good coverage in some magazine, I can't remember. And, um, and in that magazine, they they called it the grief retreat, which was really unfortunate because then it got immediately labelled as where you go to just for bereavement. Right. But then we spent three years trying to kind of pull back from that and to expand, as you know, this understanding of grief. Um, so it's not simply about bereavement so that's the kind of retreat that we did that for five years then like many small businesses pandemic we tried to take it online you know it's not the sort of thing even though the people that did it online they would say they had a wonderful experience but for us it wasn't quite yeah. you know the full experience so um that also at the same time led to i got approached about writing a book about the content and here we are Look at this beautiful book, which yeah. I've just loved reading so much. It says on the cover, The Bridge, A Nine-Step Crossing into Authentic and Wholehearted Living. I mean, just reading that subtitle, you're in. Because I think everybody wants that. They want to be living an authentic life. They want to live from the heart. But obviously, before you get to that, you've got to deal with the grief bit. And like you've just said, grief, I think, is still hugely misunderstood because we do instantly go death, loss, yeah. someone's overcoming that. But your understanding of grief and the way that you talk about it is hugely expansive. So what what is grief? Yeah, I mean, grief is, in its definition, it's a natural emotional reaction to any kind of loss. I always say that twice, so I won't. It's, it's a habit. Mm. It's a natural emotional <laughs> reaction to any kind of loss because I think it needs to land as well yeah. with people. Any kind of loss, right? Significant, of course. And so I wanted to really help people understand that we all experience grief, whether or not we grieve the action, the active process of grieving is different to actually experiencing grief. We feel grief, we just might not know that's what it is. And that can be any any significant loss. So it can be, as you know, the loss of a beloved pet, a loss of a beloved loved one in your family or friends, etc. And it can also be so many other layers to it, Fern, like loss of aspects of ourself. Mm. So this is one of the key parts that I'm particularly passionate about, is about how... For many of us, we lose connection to different parts of ourselves, like the innocent, playful child, for example. If you grew up in a family where you had to grow up too quickly for one reason or another, um, if you felt that you've lost connection to your creativity, that's a huge loss, mm. you know, to feel that you don't have an outlet for, for your creative expression. And then there's all the other things like loss of health, when people get health issues, loss of youth, that when people start to age, and it's not vanity. It is, you know, it's not just vanity. There is that deeper thing of actually really that recognition that you're moving into a completely different phase of your life. So there's so many different ways that people lose um, parts of themselves and lose, you know, significant people in their lives so I wanted to make it much broader than that. It's so important because I think probably especially in the UK we're very good at going oh that didn't really matter I'm you know I'm fine I'm moving on from this thing or I'm not even thinking about it and a lot of emotion gets suppressed and a lot of memories get warped because you're coping and you're trying to survive and 
luckily I'm not only friends with you, but you've also taken on somewhat of a mentor role, which I think we can definitely wax lyrical about that sort of dynamic because it's it's not necessarily uh, promoted or encouraged these days to find mentors mm. or to find someone that you can mentor and impart your own life experience mm. with. And and you've certainly helped me over the years look back to my own moments of grief, which are varying and some I'm completely comfortable talking about. And one of them is certainly the thing you've just touched on, losing young me. Because, mm. you know, not only did I start work very, very young in a very adult industry, but also I rejected young versions of myself because I found them embarrassing, cringy. Oh, I was stupid back then. And you reject like huge parts of your life, but also who you are. And I think you very much helped me to kind of go back and have compassion for that younger me and bring her along to, you know, integrate into my life today. And I think so many people have done that throughout their lives and abandoned themselves. How do you start the process of healing from well, any grief? But I think mm. that's a, a really interesting one because it's not an obvious one. Yeah. If you've lost parts of yourself, your creative side, your, the, the child that you were, whatever it is, how do you start to heal from that? What are the first steps? I think the first step is recognising, first of all, is the awareness piece. It's recognising that we have parts of us that are essentially frozen in time. So if you, as an example, if one of your parents went away, um, either through separation, divorce or through bereavement, through one of your parents died when you were young, say at five years old, yeah, if you're not supported to grieve that, part of you will stay five years old inside. And then say you were bullied at school at seven, there's, again, not helped to grieve what happened to you. There's a seven-year-old still inside. And so the first thing is to identify that we all have, whether we realise it or not, we all have many ages within us that have been frozen in time you know we call it emotional arrested development and so those wounded children what like you I did the same thing Fernand for many years it was like you know warrior woman push on through and that part of me is weak that part of me is vulnerable I'm certainly not interested in that part that feels abandoned and needy you know it's like we're not going there Mm. and what I realized is I made a mistake because I was in trying to always look forward I was preventing myself from living fully a wholehearted life. Why? Because I had closed down in those different events and stages of my own wounded children. I'd closed down parts of my heart to to survive. So it was like that's where people become half-hearted in their life because half of their heart is like closed down and it's only if you turn towards those little versions of yourself with compassion like you said and love and tenderness and start to welcome them and it's a process of course is your heart although painful grieving what happened to you at five at seven at eleven etc then your heart opens back up Mm. and you create this whole-hearted approach to life and that's how I've experienced it so the very beginning for people Fern is to recognise it's uh, we've all got wounded children. There's yeah. all parts of us that are five and seven and eleven, and that we weren't taught how to grieve because most people aren't shown. Our parents didn't know. They're carrying around their own grief. They don't know how to grieve, and it goes back through the generations. And so yeah. that's why I'm so passionate about supporting people to access and release those free those little children. You know, yeah, because unless you recognise the pain and then subsequently 
go through the process of properly grieving, whatever that might be, and we can get onto the different ways that you can help move on pain and sorrow and grief. But unless you do that, you will remain stuck. That that, that there's no opportunity to heal. So. So then let's, and I know it's not this quick, and that's why you've written a very hearty book about this and the, these nine steps. But obviously, once you've pinpointed the pain, there, there might be multiple areas in your life or, or times through a timeline. Once you've recognised that and you've honoured those moments, how do we grieve? How do we start to release those blocks, move on from things? Is it as simple as just crying? No. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? It would be lovely. Yeah, exactly. I love a good cry. Yeah, me too. And the, you know, women especially, you know, if that if that were the only answer, then mm. we would be healed, you know. But I think there's so many layers to it, as you say. But I think the first the first starting point, as I said, is to acknowledge that you have those. And that's why I say in the book about mapping out a yeah. timeline of your heartbreaks, as I call it, these different events in your life that you know you still carry kind of residue inside of you. And then it's like looking at what did you, what needs didn't you get met at that time, what the impact of that has been, etc. So I call it the emotional detective phase of the inner work when you start to get really curious about these things. And then, of course, some people have very detailed timelines. So you don't want to be overwhelmed. So you just do it slowly and systematically. Take one of the bigger or smaller, depending on what you're ready for. And then the the next step is to really be able to give voice to that five-year-old you or that seven-year-old, 11-year-old. So this is you can do, as I'd say in the book, that you can write a letter. People know a lot about letter writing, but it's the first start. You write by hand. There's something very important, not on a computer, not on a laptop, by hand. And then you you write the words. And so say you were wanting to write to your father that left for whatever reason when you were small, you would sort of inhabit that five-year-old little girl, little boy, little child, and then you'd write you know dear dad and then you would say you know this is what it was like I you know I know you couldn't help going away but I felt this and I felt that and you just start and people say I don't know what to write but once they start and I've given some you know structure prompts, around yeah. it some prompts for it and once they start then it's often like stream of consciousness they're like they can't stop you know we, we used to on the retreat we'd give people like good chunk of an afternoon and then when we'd come back at the end of the session they were still writing you know wow. these are the people that were going I've got nothing to say yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's all coming out basically that's what's um, giving voice to your wounded child and then it's also having that voice witnessed so you write the letter and then you need to find benevolent witnesses kind loving benevolent people that won't try and fix you and go oh me too <laughs> that they will sit opposite you and honor what you say and sometimes that's a therapist you know if you haven't got that in your life it's definitely not the person that hurt you no <laughs> it's not that no. it's not, I'm not offering that it's really about you feeling that child part of you feeling seen heard and understood because that's what we needed when we were five and that's what we needed to grow that part of us up again mm. and then we once we've done that piece and that usually involves a lot of tears for people or they go sh they shut down and emotionally numb out it's all, all good because that's also a survival response yeah then we get them up and that's when the body comes in and this is the missing piece for so many people is that you can't grieve completely, I would suggest, sitting in a chair. You need to move your body because where does grief live? 
in the body. Mm. Where is your heartbreak? In the body. Where are your emotions restricted, constricted? In the body. So we have to then move people into the body so that they can access the full range of their emotions from that time and release them. And then we do that, you know, on the bridge we did it through sort of set sessions on anger when they've they've already spoken, written the letter, they've spoken it out, and then we put on some like a deliberately jangly, angry music that people were like, turn it off. And we're like, <laughs> just go with it, go with it. And then people's emotions start to, you know, wow. and then, and this is the key for so many people, especially I have to say women, although some men too, is the safe release of anger being part of the grieving process. So is this shouting, screaming, yes. like what, okay, yeah. yeah. So it's whatever, it's different for some people, obviously they're, their rage is very close to the surface and they go off like rockets. But that this is in me. a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a safe environment. So that you know what on the bridge retreat we used to have sessions where it's not like you just like dumped in a room and like go you know like poked with a stick and then yeah. off you go. This is about preparing people and it's the same in the book. It's like you do it step by step. Slowly, slowly is the key here. Tortoise, not hare. And then it's a, um, what I suggest in the book, because you're not on the retreat, is that you do like a group, it sounds crazy, but you do a grief dance where you put the anger music on and you start to feel that five-year-old coming and it's like, and then you start, you know, in a safe space where you're not going to be heard, you might just say, start off with saying stuff like, it wasn't okay, why did you leave? Why did you go away? And then you that letter more and more comes up and then that's when people start to feel that connection to their anger. Wow. Yeah. You've really got to move past all the sort of awkwardness of yes. everything we've been socially conditioned with, which is to, you know, remain, <laughs> yeah, yeah. remain seated and arms folded yeah. and nope, I'm just thinking all these bad thoughts in my head. And just to let it out yes. physically and yes. move and not feel like anyone's looking at you, don't feel judged, just let it flow out of you. And I think you have to get past that bit. Yes. To, because I've done different variations of this work myself and there is always that sort of reluctancy like oh I just don't I don't want to do this right now or if I've done breathwork sessions where part of it is drumming your arms and feet on the floor and all sorts of amazing stuff comes out of you even doing that it's Mm. a really powerful thing and you're so right it is that missing link that our culture doesn't support grieving physically it's very much a private crying try not to let people see you do it or whatever it might be but actually it can be this big beautiful release and I think Letter writing for me has been huge over the years. Like if I find myself even dealing with something just a bit irritating, not like deep trauma, but I'm ready to fire off the shittiest email you've ever read in your (laughs) life, I will like literally grip my pen, but write something to that person and then burn it or throw it away and not send the email. But I've got it out of me. It's not in me anymore. And there's also an example you give in the book where somebody that you were working with actually wrote a letter on behalf of the person that had hurt her Mm. saying sorry. So you can write a letter, not even from yourself or a past version of you, you can write a letter on behalf of someone that perhaps is now dead or isn't in your life so that you can feel like you've had that apology or you've had that recognition that you were hurt. And I had never heard of that before. 
Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. There's a couple of things I just want to pick up from what you said, Fern. And, and one of them is about the the very, especially British, you know, mm. kind of like in the movement pieces that people are all like, what is this madness? <laughs> so embarrassing. I'll just shake my little finger here. like this. You know, and, and it, we we encourage people like to, to kind of, um, if they need to, to face the wall so they don't feel that like, because it is, there is that comedic element to yeah, it yeah. at the beginning. But we, because we bring that approach as well, it's like your laughter as well welcome your rage is welcome etc etc and then once people get beyond the self-consciousness and what we often do and this is the bit I just wanted to mention is that we get them to shake so move away from this idea of dancing and you don't have to straight straight away start to make sound but we get people slowly to shake their bodies and shaking as you I'm sure you know is based on the work of Dr Peter Levine who wrote Waking the Tiger brilliant book about trauma and Peter Levine's basically model somatic experiencing includes this shaking, this simple energetic shaking of the whole body to access and release emotions. Which is what animals do. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And what what Peter Levine says is that animals, if not kept in captivity, they rarely suffer from trauma. Why? Because they shake. So they go into a stressful situation and then um, if they escape, you know, the whole deer with a lion thing, they run, if they manage by a miracle to get away, they will literally lie down on the floor and they just shake their whole body, take a deep breath and then they get up and they're munching on the leaves you know and it's like this is the thing with the shaking that is so powerful that I wanted to to mention and and uh, as part of that kind of release through the body but coming back to your question about the apology so what we encourage people to do Fern is to write the letter to give voice to that wounded child first and then recognizing that you many of us we're never going to get an apology from the person who hurt us for a myriad of different reasons. They might not even be alive. They might not even know. You know, yeah. like my own father, if I just said to him, you owe me an apology, which I probably did, he'd say, for what? You mm. had a roof over your head, da, 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 da. Not of that generation, you know. So, for, you know, to think that my dad was going to apologise, good luck, Donna, you know, don't hold your breath. I didn't. Yeah. And so instead it was about taking control of that for myself and actually writing this letter of apology to my myself from my dad and it was like an imagining if he in, inhabited the best part of himself which I didn't meet by the way but ma imagine if we believe in spirit that, that his spirit came into the room picked up a pen and a pad and wrote this letter saying what I did everything you said in that previous mm. letter was wrong every you, you know not that the letter was wrong I was wrong and I'm so so sorry I hurt you deeply and then you go really into details and I tell you it's a real you need tissues because it's like I got him to my own example I got him to say things like I wish that I'd been there for you uh, um, when you came out from school and that you didn't have to walk home alone. I wish I'd been there for you when you were bullied by the children for being the only little brown girl in your class of white kids. I wish that I'd stood up for you. I wish I'd read to you stories, etc. Et and honestly, when you write that level of detail, Fern, it's like, yeah. and and um, It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And it's also so healing. And people say, oh, but I know I'm making it up. And it's that beautiful, um, statement that comes from V who used to be known as yeah. Eve Ensler I mentioned her work in the book she wrote a brilliant book called The Apology where she did exactly that yeah. she, she wrote an apology to herself on behalf of her father and she says a heartfelt apology 
real or imagined is medicine to the soul mm. and that is my experience and the experience of many many people they they think you know the kind of egoic mind goes oh please i'm just writing to myself but there's another part of yeah. us that little girl in you and i that is waiting for those people that have hurt us to say hands up i did it i'm sorry and i was wrong i mean i'm yet to do it but i can already sense the 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 potency of doing that like I can feel it because even thinking about where I'd begin with that is like god I mean it's overwhelming but I can see how there would be a huge release there and it's so interesting you just saying that about the sort of cognitive mind is always constantly looking for a logical solution if I write a whole list of things here is how I'm going to heal myself and solve this and Mm. and why I had all these problems and what it is and we're trying to cognitively figure it all out and sometimes you can't sometimes it's got to be a somatic experience of physical movement or it's got to be something that a system like that writing this letter that is imagined to do the work without you having to get your brain into the picture to figure it all out and make it this neat little pile of problems that you've solved I think a lot of books offer that side of things. You know, this is how the cognitive mind will help you through this healing. And it's like, that's a tiny portion of it. Mm. There's so many other parts to the healing process that we're not honouring and that we're not looking at. And we have to bring them all together if we really want proper deep healing. Absolutely, Fern. And it's that thing, you know, as I wrote about in the book, you know, I spent 20 years of my life diagnosed with so-called depression and given medication, antidepressants. Now, once I started to work through the body myself, not just sitting in a chair, as much as therapy was amazing for me, but when I started to actually do the somatic part of it, miraculously, Fern, and it was miraculous, my so-called depression was no longer in, I was no longer in its grip and I thought maybe that wasn't depression maybe that was unprocessed emotional pain grief Mm. and it was and so then I got curious and as I started doing more and more of my work with other people you know what we started to see is that a lot of people recognize and now this isn't to say that people don't have clinical depression I'm not of course I'm not suggesting that for a moment but lots of people do recognize that they've been given antidepressants for unhealed unprocessed emotional pain Mm. you know and so if you give people a safe space and a structure um, which I hope the book offers to safely access and release this including the body and uh, see that shift and people just start to say oh you know I spoke to someone last night that and he's saying I've you know I've never turned towards my heartbreak you know I always thought it was move on push on you know carry on and it's like but that's the general consensus and I think the word curious is really important Mm. because some people might go, I'm not looking back. I don't want to get stuck there or yeah. dwell on it. Yeah. But actually, it's probably equally as damaging to ignore it. So you don't have to sort of get stuck in it and, and go to places that you live in and feel terrible about. There's a, There has to be a sense of curiosity like, well, what is that pain and why is it there? And why have I held on to it physically, emotionally, mentally? So it's not having to delve back in and live in the past no. and relive it all. It's the curiosity, I think, that... Yes 
it makes it a positive endeavour, although I know it is a challenging thing too because I've done a lot of that work. Yeah, exactly. And it's this thing, you know, it reminds me of, um, first of all, healing, the pain of healing is temporary and the denial of grief can last a whole lifetime. Oh, God, that's a big one. So it, that's, but it's, it's such a reminder. And yeah. I know it sounds heavy, but it's actually, for me, it's really It's liberating. It's liberating. You've got a choice. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing I want to say, Fern, I knew I was going to get in my buffalo somehow. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Is that um, the grief expert, David Kessler, he describes this scenario with buffaloes. And he says buffaloes are one of the few wild animals. I'm so excited that I can get to tell my, <laughs> let's my buffalo story. On, let's Be more buffalo people. <laughs> so he, he says that basically these wild animals, these buffaloes are one of the few animals. in When there's a storm coming, most wild animals will run away from the storm. So the storm's coming, animals are running, running, running. And what are they doing? They're extending their pain and their distress because the the storm's coming and yeah. it's going to get you anyway, you know, eventually. And so what buffaloes do, they're so wise, is they are one of the few wild animals that turns around and runs towards the storm and through the eye of the storm. Why? To temporarily feel the extremities of it and then move through it. And that is like this kind of work, this grief work that I'm talking about, which is also soul work, is that you can run your whole life trying to run from that storm and your your life can be... It feels like one eternal rain cloud hanging over you yeah. that you're running from. Whereas if you have the courage, and it does take immense courage, I'm not underestimating that, to turn towards that um, storm and say, okay, this is going. I'm going. This is going to hurt, but so is living on my knees metaphorically. Yeah. So I'm going to go into that pain, into those historical points where I feel frozen in time. And then what happens when you come out the other side of a storm? It feels fresh. Yeah. It feels clean and clear. It's peaceful the sun shines and mm. that is what I encourage people to be more buffalo be more buffalo yes <laughs> your new need that on a t-shirt Donna I know it's so brilliant because in a very distilled manner I experienced that through EMDR therapy yes. where you do have to revisit some very challenging moments that I was absolutely blanking out I mean I've got certain patches of my memory that I haven't recovered because I think again another coping mechanism is you just block parts of your life out delete sections of yes. it and I had to revisit stuff that I didn't want to but I'm not saying like yes I am healed here I am but I'm certainly a lot better than I was yes. in terms of mental and emotional health and sort of moving through challenging times or being triggered by certain things it's no mean feat, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible. And, you know, every person that you've worked with has proven that. You've proven that. You start the book. And this is why, you know, I've so appreciated your friendship as well as learning from you and, and watching the work that you do, is that you are always very personal about it and give your own experience. Mm. On Instagram, you give the most brilliant personal stories that then end up being a message that we can all share. Mm. And in the beginning of the book, you start by describing this moment that, felt at the time like a rock bottom but actually was the start of everything and your healing and your turning into grief and you were literally on your knees on the bathroom floor at work mm. just like I don't know where to go now I don't know what to do so yeah. that feels like it, there, there was a moment of epiphany during that although it was awful yeah. it was a moment of there has to be something else yes. there has to be another route to this yes 
And I think if all of us are honest, you know, you might not. I'm, I'm a bit of a drama queen, so I had to, of course, be at work, and it had, to, you know, had to, of course, be on the bottom, you know, on the on the floor of a, a bathroom, and not very clean bathroom in a local government offices, you know, so typical of me with the glamour. But for some people, it's not as extreme as that. But it is those moments when something happens in our life, and it might be someone we love dies, or our relationship falls apart, or we leave a job, or we move home, or we have a child and become a parent or we realise that we can't become a parent, whatever it might be. But those are pivotal moments that are painful and also full of possibility. And I'm not a Pollyanna, as you know, type of person. This isn't about toxic positivity. This is about daring to turn towards those places that really ache and hurt inside of us so that we can uh, clear out the the blocks that cover over those pockets of our heart and return to that wholehearted living. And so for me, when I was on that bathroom floor... Because I'd been a warrior woman persona, like many women, you know, it was like push on through. I've got two kids. I've got, you know, I was working in child protection as a social worker. I was busy, you know. And then, and this is the wisdom also of the body. And if you believe in it, something bigger than us Um, I thought I'd get that one in Um, but but the the wisdom of the universe and my body I would say it was a collective they went look she's not going to do this by herself so we will we will force her to do it and it brought me literally to my knees it's like I had a full-blown panic attack in that toilet I really thought I was having a heart attack it really was a moment where I thought Uh, this is it this is the end I was 30 but I'd been running on adrenaline for so long and running away like all those other wild animals from my own history and my own storm and then the universe and my body just went nah down you go and then it was that but like you say it it sounds like Doomsville it was the opposite for me it was the beginning of living and not existing it was the beginning of freedom Fern and this is why I get so passionate about it because that moment Although terribly hard, and it was a good year, I'm not going to lie, you know, I had a very traumatised childhood. It was a good year of, of therapy and body work and, and, and you know, lots using lots of the tools that are in the book and then getting to a place where I was like, I've crawled through a portal and I've come out the other side and it's like... I feel a lightness that I didn't yeah. feel was possible. I feel, dare I say the J word, joy. Yeah. And I'm, you know, and I'm such a joyous person. But if you'd met me in that 20, I mean, you've probably, as my friend, you would find it hard to imagine yeah. that I was so, you know, I, I really was like in misery for 20 years. Mm. And it's just not a feature in my life. And that doesn't mean I don't feel sad. And it doesn't mean I don't yeah, of have course. all of that. It just means that I live a wholehearted life. And I don't pretend to be anything other than who I am and that's the authentic piece. So, you know, I think m- many people will have had a moment like that. It might not have yeah. been a physical moment of on your knees or whatever, but moments where you go, this just isn't working or I, I don't want to feel like this anymore. I mean, mine mine was relatively dramatic. I mean, you know, I was, I was put on medication. I needed to leave a lot of jobs that I felt I had no control over anymore and I felt very, very rock bottom and... I think my climbing out, I'm still doing it to an extent, although I'm nowhere near where I was mentally 10 years ago. Um, But I think most people will go, oh, yeah, I've had one of those moments. It's probably why a lot of people have loved reading Eat, Pray, Love, because she's, again, like on the floor crying in the bathroom. And then she goes and does something different. And we all hope that we can do that. that, Mm. I know that's a very sort of cliched example, but I love Elizabeth Gilbert. But I think... 
we all hope that we've got the propensity to, to do something different and to make change. What was the first change? Because I think there'll be people going, yeah, but what, what do you do? Where do I go next? Is it asking for help? You know, a lot of people, I've found that certainly very difficult. Mm. Is it asking for help? Is it looking for professional help? Or is it making a big change? Or how do you know where to start when you're on your knees, metaphorically or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the compassion piece as well, Fern, is that I always say is harshness never healed anyone. So we have to really be compassionate that we all reach those points. And I mean, you know, that's another podcast to talk about the kind of hero's journey that we're on and the spiritual dimension and looking at life through a transpersonal lens. We haven't got time, but on a very very human level, we all recognise and that's the kind of belonging and connection pieces that we say, like you say, I've been there too, may not have been on that floor but it was my version of a yeah. bathroom floor and when I, whenever I share my story people say me too yes I've been I've had that experience and so there's that first thing of being honest when you look in the mirror and you say as I did I'm living a lie I'm living a lie this is not this is not how it was meant to be this is not the truth of who I am this is not even what I'm capable of and so then when you get to that truth point even if you're not ready to act on it just to tell the truth to yourself that's step one is to look in the mirror and say I'm not being I don't know who the full me is, but this is not it, Mm. you know, and that is the authentic piece. And then it is for some people, if it is that like me with the bathroom floor kind of intensity it is about asking for help. It's like my warrior persona needed to fall and crumble away for that vulnerable, terrified, actually little young Donna to step forward and say, please, I need some help. So for me, it was getting therapeutic help. And let me tell you as well, as a social worker, I wasn't earning loads of money. So it's not, you know, I recognise that some people say, oh, but I can't afford that. I couldn't. <laughs> but it was like, I, I have to find a way to make this work, you know. And I had a, luckily, I had a great doctor. And, and then he, you know, you can get some sessions on the NHS. And then I just, it was like, I had to make a, a, a call. for. I felt like I've got two kids. I have to save my own life. Yeah, you know, and so for me, it was about getting this kind of therapeutic. I started getting acupuncture, and it was funny as well. Is as, as I started to do the work, as these other opportunities, and someone would come forward and say, "Hey, come in. It's okay. Don't worry. You haven't got the money. Come to this workshop." And it just kind of grew from there. So I think because you were welcoming it, yes, rather than I'm shut off. I'm doing my own thing. Yeah, and you'd built this warrior woman persona because you had to you were surviving Surviving, from childhood stuff and you'd built a sort of a coat of armor around you to sort of deal with it and I think the thing that threads probably everybody's shared experience of this together is if you are willing to you know make changes or try and heal there has to be a dismantling of sorts yes I mean mine was I dismantled everything I was like oh shit none of this works I don't believe in that anymore this is not a thing I'm not going down that path I don't care about any of this shit anymore <laughs> and I thought I did yeah. I really really didn't yeah. and I think that's the unexpected bit is there has to be a dismantling of your beliefs and what you think and who you believe you are and you know, I, I've certainly, that resonates with me. I believe, you know, I've got to just keep on pushing yeah. through things I really hate doing. And you build this warrior up that moves through things. You don't have to be like that. No. You, and I guess, again, it goes back to self-compassion. You were willing to treat yourself well. I'm going to have acupuncture. I'm yeah. going to find the help. So, of course, more help turned up because you were like, I'm welcoming it in. Absolutely. I'm bringing it in. Absolutely, yeah. You've got to do it. Yeah, and I think... 
it's, it's that my heart goes out to so many people and that's partly what this book is offering is really there is another way you know and it is it's starting small it's starting you know lots of people have busy lives they've got kids and family and work and making money it's not like they have the luxury some people of like sitting down and even reading a whole book yeah but just finding even within this book or whatever it's just little bits that you go okay I can tr- I can start there okay there's a section on boundaries okay let's start there how can I start to honor my boundaries but I would suggest when you really are dealing with a lot of kind of childhood wounding is it's hard to start anywhere else because it it, it, as you know yourself as I know you can try to work on your self-worth that's why it comes later in the book over here but if you haven't turned towards what happened over there before that part of you is is like you don't feel that you deserve all this nice stuff of having boundaries and and self-care and all it's like no 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 you don't deserve that Donna because actually you're unlovable remember you know Mm. so you have to kind of do that bit alongside and it becomes easier this is what happened for, for me is as I turn towards that buffalo style turn towards that my own inner storm is that then I started to just behave like you false all the false masks and roles it was like no idea who I am but I know I'm not her anymore you know I'm not just this warrior woman I'm not the woman that's I'm actually really vulnerable I'm really open I'm actually quite afraid at this point you know and I'm also hopeful it was all a big mix and then it was like okay maybe I could just start there with building on that sort of you know slightly wobbly foundations and then maybe I'll just you know it's like what Dr Nicole Perra says in her book when she says commit to something even if that's an extra glass of water to honour your body a day commit to that because it seems nothing and it's everything because commitment when you say to yourself I'm going to like me it's green juice I'm going to have a green juice five days out of seven that's my thing And when you do it, week in, week out, recognising sometimes you can't be asked and that's okay. But just week in, week out, there's a level of consistency. What we say more often than not, more often than not, is good enough. Is that you get then get to a place where you realise I'm somebody I can trust because I do what I say I'm going to do. And what does that do is that then that enhances your self-worth. I can rely on myself because I'm somebody. If I say I'm going to drink a glass of water extra a day, I'll do it. If I say I'm going to drink a green juice, more more often than not I do. I can trust myself. Yeah, well, that's a huge thing. I don't think I'd ever given that any thought and I can see how that would just snowball into so many other areas. And it does. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Let's work chronologically because you've just explained the importance of, you know, going back to the start. It doesn't have to be childhood. You might have had your wounds in your 20s or 30s, whatever. But going back to that place first, is forgiveness integral to healing? Do you have to forgive? No. 
I think it's not for any of us to say to anybody, you have to forgive. I think that's actually abusive, to be honest. If you, you know, if somebody's experienced horrific, as many people have horrific experiences of abuse or violations or whatever, for somebody else to sit there in their comfortable therapist chair and say, oh, you have to, or whatever, no, I'm not in... This is I'm, such a relief yes. to hear you say, because I didn't think that was going to be your answer. Nah. I thought you were going to say... Yes, and this is how you do it. And yeah. instantly I'm going, oh. like, honestly. I know, but I'm going to come to, there is an and. Oh, shit. <laughs> it doesn't mean that, that, so first of all, no one has the right, I believe, to say to you, you must forgive. It's just an added thing that you've, in inverted commas, failed at then. Yeah. It's like, oh, I had all these horrible experiences and I can't forgive, so I'm a terrible person as well. I knew I was right, you know. Mm. So instead of that, again, harshness never healed anybody. What I would say is that it is virtually impossible to forgive from a heartfelt place, not what I call neck up, yeah. cheap forgiveness from the neck up where we go, oh, yeah, it's like spiritual bypass. Oh, no, don't worry about it. Oh, you slept with my, <laughs> you slept with my husband. That's OK. Don't worry about it. You know. And then literally <laughs> seething at night, Absolutely. working out revenge. Yeah, this is not forgiveness. Yeah. Forgiveness lives in the heart. What I do believe is there's just like healthy anger is confused with toxic anger so sometimes people say you can't get angry because that is violence and abuse and devastation and destruction no 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 those are violence and abuse and devastation and destruction healthy anger is something very different that's toxic anger that's actually anger when you don't do anger and it festers into those toxicities but it's the same thing with forgiveness is that people have, they misunderstand anger and they misunderstand the true definition of forgiveness. And again, people struggle with this word. But forgive means to give up. So to give up your bitterness, your resentment, your rage towards the person who hurt you or the people who hurt you, as an example, it's virtually impossible to give up that unless you've grieved it. So grief clears out and creates space inside of you for what to first arrive before the joy, possibly forgiveness. You start to get to a place when you've done the grief. When you haven't, you go, dream on. You know, I was like that for years, like dream on my dad. What he did was unforgivable. But actually, once I grieved what happened to me as a child, and then I started to entertain the possibility that my dad perhaps was part of a family system that was just passing down through the generations all of this toxic, unexpressed rage. And, you know, he's a black man, come to England, all of the layers inside of him from uh, his own history and that he was taught, you know, women should be submissive, you should dominate them, all of these things. And that just leaked out of him towards my mother and towards me and my sister. And so, you know, for us, it was really... um, For me, the forgiveness piece is really about starting to, once you've cleared that grief to the side, as it were, is then you start to create space to go, wonder what it was like for them that they would do such a thing. So like V in her book, The Apology that I mentioned in the book about forgiveness, she says, you know, that she had to start to really consider who would do that to their own child. Yet There must be something. And that's not excusing it, Fern. No. It's not justifying it. It's understanding it. And then we get to a place once we've grieved where we are willing to give up this bitterness, this resentment, because the other thing, which is a real inspiration around forgiveness, 
forgiveness is that you're un- otherwise you are unhealthily hooked into your past. So it's like I wanted to be free from my dad, but he was still like pulling the puppet yeah. strings 20 years on. When I decided that I and it was a process, by the way, of 25 years to yeah, forgive yeah. my not, dad. It's not, not a one off. Like, no, 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 no. But slowly, slowly, I started to understand. I started to get curious about his life. I walked a mile in his shoes as it were, symbolically. And then I was like, yeah, he wasn't actually always a monster. And I had him, I had to have him believe he was a monster. And then that was like one hook came out. And then it was like, maybe he had a tough time. Another hook started to Mm. loosen. And then over time, it was like, I mean, I've got to a place with my dad where I've got, there's nothing to forgive. I've gone beyond forgiveness, Fern. There's absolutely nothing to forgive. I get it, you know? Um, and it's really important that you say this isn't like a one-stop shop. No. Like, then you're healed and you're yeah. going to feel free. Yeah. Like I'm very accepting, in fact, yeah. that some of the work that I need to do to heal from the stuff that I've experienced, I might be doing it until I die. And that's OK, Absolutely. because incrementally I will feel freer and I will feel better. Yes. So I will hopefully feel another 20% better over the next 10 years or 20 years or whatever. And it was really interesting because at the Happy Place Festival in Manchester, I was doing a small talk and there was this really lovely lady who stood up and was sort of weeping and and said, you know, do you ever feel like you're you're doing all the well-being stuff, but it's just not working? And I was like, wow, okay, I totally know that feeling of like, you know, you're going on, you're doing your yoga, you're having your green juice, you're writing your gratitude journal, whatever. But to me, this work isn't like you do all that and then you're fixed. This is every day. And I think as soon as we realise that, we'll stop feeling like we're falling short and we're not getting it. We're not enlightened to this place of complete liberation. You know, it could be every day forever, but you will feel a bit better every day forever. Exactly, Fern. And then what also happens is your capacity, this is the resilience piece, is your capacity. As you do this work... You, you get more and more resilient for what life storms because you've shown yourself, I turned towards it, yeah. I grieved it, I um, came to a place of peace or forgiveness, whatever is m- meaningful and true for you. And each time you do that, you're getting closer and closer to just feeling more and more your true self again. So it's like the, the kind of wins, if you like, the gains and the benefits every day are evident because you look in the mirror and you think, I just like, like you, you could say probably you like yourself m- more than you did 10 years ago. Oh. Oh, 100%. Same as me. 100%. You know? yeah. I can equally see how easy it is to get stuck. I could have yeah. easily got stuck in the story that, you know, it's a true story, but also I lived in that story of, well, this happened and I feel like this because of it and I don't want to be putting myself out there or doing this job anymore because I, people are mean in the world. You know, this whole yeah, story I'd story. created... I could have so easily got stuck in it. And I did get very stuck in it for quite a while. So I think I can totally see it was easier to get stuck than to heal, essentially, isn't it? I think when we realise that, that's quite liberating. Like, this is going to be hard work, but it's also going to be amazing. There will be breakthroughs. There will be liberation. There will be discoveries about yourself, the people around you. You might change your perspective on everything. You don't know. Like, it's all unknown. But staying stuck is not unknown. Staying stuck is yeah. it is what it is. So it's easier to stay there. It's harder to move forward and to heal, but it's certainly a better route and certainly worth a go. Totally. And it's also that thing is you you create space inside yourself 
through this work and and it is the the more lightness because carrying unprocessed emotional pain grief is very heavy Mm. and so when you start to clear like you say you do the burns a little bit here and a little bit there and then you get to a place fern like i do and i'm a lot older than you but it's like i've cleared out a lot of shit basically inside my system and so in clearing that out this joy just has arrived you know and i i would never have believed that was possible you know this is not joy because like and now i've written a book and this is just joy that's in you it's playful playful joy that's there it's it's play it's like an inner celebration of life and it's like I I went back for the wounded child and when I healed the wounded child or children, I had a whole family there, when I healed and integrated those parts, what, what returned within me was the playful child. So mm. it's like I'm 55 and I'm five, but in a good way. Yeah, Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So I'm, you know me really well. It's like I'm really cheeky, I'm really mischievous. <laughs> and that was all kind of in, in the locked wounded child. That, that If that child was locked in a cupboard, if you like, symbolically inside of me, also, I locked inside there the playful and innocent and joyous child. So when I when I opened that cupboard and then out she came, I dealt with the bits that she was angry and sad and fearful about, the grief pieces. And then that part of me is just like arrived. And like you say, it's not like I'm walking around like, woohoo, every day. <laughs> you know, I'm not suggesting that for a minute. I still feel sad. I still feel angry. As you know, I can be, a, you know, I have a, as I will say, we all, all have a shadow self and you mm-hmm. and I we, we know we like to talk about our shadow we do, and we yeah, do. which is also healthy, so healthy and it's in the in the book but what I'm saying is I'm not carrying a backlog of 20 years of pain anymore and that feels like freedom it is it's freedom and of course once you start on this journey I sometimes feel a bit I know that twitchy word. saying that <laughs> word but I don't I haven't found a replacement no. yet but when you're moving down that path of healing and you've made that commitment to yourself you do like there will be a dismantling and you start to think differently about lots of different things and you start to realize teamed with self-compassion that you do need to start setting boundaries yes this is something I'm still learning about. You got me this stone that I keep on my desk at all times that on one side says boundaries, the other side says fuck right off, which is the extreme <laughs> version of boundaries. Um, not sometimes all boundaries. Sometimes necessary, but not Sometimes always. necessary. We can do a gentle fuck right off. Yeah. Um, but of course, boundaries boundaries are essential. And ba- I feel like the word boundaries gets battered about all the time. And many of us go... I don't, I don't, understand. what is it? Mm. What is, mm. what are boundaries? How do I implement them? Mm. You know, what's too much of a boundary? What, I don't want to build a wall up, but also I know I can be very boundaryless and it goes back to self-worth and all the things we've talked about today. So how do we start using boundaries and, and what are they essentially? So boundaries, uh, personal boundaries are about um, personal limits. It's about recognising um, getting to know ourselves well well enough to know what's okay and what's not okay for us. So we have to, have, the first starting point for personal boundaries is, and by the way, you're in good company, most of us struggle with uh, yeah. boundaries, but it's that recognition of what our needs are. So we have to start there, like, what is it I need? And most of us share the same needs, Fern. We need to be respected. We need to feel that we belong. We need to feel safe. We need to feel that we that we matter. And we need to feel seen heard and understood these are fundamentals for the human condition if you like so it's good to sort of again that emotional detective please to explore what is it that you need as an individual as you're getting to know yourself this um, more authentic wholehearted version of yourself so you 
start there. It also needs links to values. So again, an exploration about, you know, do does it matter to me about kindness and integrity and compassion? Most of us, yeah. when we clear out our backlog of rage, um, is most of us in our spirits, in the core of our being. We love other people. We want to be kind to them. It's just in us. It's just pain. The rest of it is just pain and defence, you know. But at our core of our being, we most of us share the similar values and have the same needs. And so once you identify that, you then have to start to think about how I'm going to ensure that I honour my own needs and my own values and my own wishes, actually. And I always describe, you know, boundaries, healthy boundaries, as like a fence. It's like a fence around your personal space. It's about a fence around your life and your decisions around uh, what you do with your life, with your body, with etc. And um, the great thing about a fence, a boundary, is that it has a gate in it. And that means that you can have that gate open and you can invite people either in and sometimes escort them out <laughs> through the gate bugger off fro one of my friends but, has an analogy that you're driving a bus you get get off my bus yeah get off the bus exactly. bye exactly. Kick them off yeah exactly so that's a boundary it's basically saying these are my limits so you're very welcome at a time that is right for me you know etc etc to come into this symbolic space my space but there's also times when you close the gate and you say, do not enter, you know, when you need your rest or whatever. Yeah. It's like, no, no, thank you. And being able to uphold that. What a lot of us do is we go to the extreme. So we go to rather than boundaries, we go into barriers. Yeah. And we think it's a boundary. I was like this in my sort of misguided attempts at boundary setting in the early days of my own healing. So I would say you know, no to everything, for example. No, no, step back, no. <laughs> you know, and it's like, that's not a, ba- a boundary, Donna. That's a barrier. Mm. That's a brick wall. If the boundary is a fence, that's a brick wall. There's no light, there's no windows, there's definitely yeah. no door, you know, and it's it, it kept me safe. But how like. do you know the difference? Because I think I, I still struggle with this one, which is why I'm so intrigued, is sometimes I think I don't know if it's okay to say no. I don't know if I'm, you know, shutting myself out from having a, a lived experience and trying something new or am I just actually too tired for this and I'm saying no from the heart I get very I'm so in a muddle with boundaries yeah yeah I think you again you're in good company because it's we swing we can swing from the kind of barriered place and we can also go into the boundary less place i know when i'm tired you know i always think when i have a massage sometimes and they're playing that horrible plinky plonky music (laughs) and it's too loud and when i'm tired i just don't say anything about the bloody music same i'm I'm like this in a cab (laughs) if in a taxi he's got on talk like a talking radio thing they're chatting about angry men talk about politics i think this is the last thing i want before i go and do a podcast or do a, a really lovely peaceful job but i don't have it in me to go oh excuse me do you might I can't I go silent I yes. like keep all the words in it's bizarre no, I don't think it's that bizarre I think it is it's really common for us is that thing is recognizing when you're when you're uh, under-resourced that's when that we can go into that I'm the same and I, I teach boundaries for a living you mm. know what I mean but it's like when I but I recognize and compassion comes in and I think I'm not going to tell her about the plinky plonky music because <laughs> and I could do with a bit of a firmer touch actually but we won't go there <laughs> <laughs> I'll just I'll just let it go. But it's, it's that thing as I come away and I just laugh at myself. And that's a clue that you're healing. It's okay. when you come out and you go, 
Oh, that's fun. hilarious. Yeah, it's like you yeah. laugh at yourself and you go, look at you, Fern, you did that again, rather than like, <laughs> why didn't I say anything? The harshness piece. Mm. But I think how we get to, especially women, I have to say this, is that we, you know, the world is invested in us. You know, the whole good girl, the nice yeah. girl, the people pleaser, like just, just you know, smile sweetly. Mm-hmm. And so, the, you know, we've had all these messages in our socialisation, generally speaking. And so we, what we're doing, essentially, is we're breaking, you know, lifetimes, actually, of yeah. these, this, this conditioning. So it feels almost like when we speak our truth and when you say, for example, I don't want to do that without like multiple sorries. Oh my God, I'm so sorry yeah. that I can't do this for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, I'm not, I don't want to do that as an example of a boundary and you is I call it a bum clench because you you know my bum goes like that and it's also it's all right you know it's just recognizing that you are breaking lifetimes of habitual for women women, you know patriarchy all of that it's like we're you know the world is invested in us saying yes Mm. yes I'll clean up yes I'll look after the kids yes I'll go to work yes I'll never complain yes I'll have sex with you yes I'll you know and it's like we we're just exhausted from that yes so overwhelmed (laughs) We're so overwhelmed. And I don't think, you know, if we look at women specifically right now, a lot yeah. of women listen to this podcast. Yeah. I welcome all men to listen to. I'm, Absolutely. I'm hugely passionate about getting men to understand that whatever I'm doing here, well-being, it's just feeling well. It's for everyone. It's not a female endeavour. But I think for lots of the women listening now, they will go, oh, my God, that, you know, I speak to my girlfriends constantly about this, feeling so overwhelmed by saying yes to trying to do it all, trying yeah. to be the best mate, the best partner, mm. the best mum or carer, whatever you, you might be caring for parents. You're, you're the, trying to be the best everything to everyone. And we're just not giving ourselves the space to go, I am ex- I'm exhausted. Yeah. I need to lose some of this. And, I, you know, I the arena of my life that I'm pretty good at being boundaried about is my social life because I genuinely don't have the energy. So I will often say I can't come to that thing or thank you for inviting me, but I'm not going to make the party, whatever, because I know I will be tortured by the thought of it on that day because I'm so exhausted. But I find it very difficult in other ways if it's helping somebody or, you know, I think I do have the capacity or the whatever it is, the time, the energy, sometimes the money to help. I would like to do it. But sometimes that is still to my detriment. Mm. So and I'm back in a muddle again. Oh, my God, I've got to do this thing. But I'm now totally overwhelmed again. And Mm. I guess it is just a check in every day. Like, where are my energy levels? Can I give any more than I'm giving today? And knowing that if you haven't got the energy, that saying no is okay because you can still set a boundary, but then literally kill yourself that evening going, I'm such a bad person. I'm so selfish. I could have done that thing for that person. We need to learn to negate that period of guilt and shame that we put ourselves through. I'm talking about myself. Yeah, I get it, Fern. And it is that, uh, it's also that thing of that kind of what I call traumatised thinking. So it's like we have, again, it, it, as we're talking about women in this point of the podcast, it's like we have this, it's like a series of thought processes. And, it, you know, you could call it the inner critic, but it's really, uh, it really beats ourselves up about breaking this historical, you know, these kind of lifetimes of kind of how women should behave. Um, and it's really recognising that this can be linked to our own 
trauma even that it's like if I do these things the world's going to fall apart if I do these things um, people will not like me it's all about a desire to belong and to yeah. be safe and loved and that's all right it's that compassion piece again but the more that you can kind of recognise this is my if you like disordered thinking I also in my clients I say write a script about what you're going to think when you say no to this event like write a script and there and so you do it in advance so you go I'm, I'm going to think as Fern I'm a terrible person yeah. I've let everyone down I said yes and then I've disappointed them they're all upset with me they don't like me I'm da, 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 and down we go the spiral yeah. but if you write it out this is again it's that thing you look at it and you go it's like reading it in that place and going yeah that's exactly yeah. what I'm seeing. But you get that distance from it because you see it is a script, actually. It's a story it's a that habit. you... It's a habit. And you've played it so many times on a loop in your head. And then what you need to do is prove to yourself, one, that you that it's okay to say no and nobody, you know, uh, hates you because of it. Um, in fact, the opposite. You're inspiring people. Like, people look at you and go, wow, Fern's, you know, she said no to this Ooh. event and well maybe I could say no to something I don't want to do you know so that's inspiring other people which is a service rather yeah. than you self-sacrificing and exhausting yourself and then resenting everyone yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hating everyone and not going out for six months <laughs> Um, towards the end of the book, you talk about a recipe for joy and mm. you even did a beautiful workshop with Melissa Hemsley at the Happy Place you Festival did. on this theme. What is a recipe for joy? How do we create one? Oh, I love this. So this is um, all the ingredients that you can bring into your life to to kind of, you know, we obviously we use this, the analogy of a recipe because of Melissa being a chef. But it's basically the things that you bring into your bowl to cook up and mix up um, the, the ways of living a more joyful life. And so we gave just some suggestions of different things that people can do. And so they are things like recognising that there are three thieves of joy and again this is an awareness piece that I, what I call the three thieves <laughs> try saying that like got my teeth in <laughs> three thieves of joy are comparisons oh, oh we all know that one Painful. expectations having an expectation that you should have done this or you shouldn't have said that and judgments judging yourself and other people in a particular way so they're, they're, they're the things that will absolutely not go in your bowl for your joy they're the things that will rob you of your joy and then alongside that you have the three anchors of joy I like the threes mm. and the three anchors of joy are no surprises gratitude so yeah. gratitude and everybody knows that you know it's been proven scientifically proven many times if you have a gratitude practice you become more joyful you know as Brené Brown said in all her years of research she says I've never met a joyful person that wasn't actively practicing gratitude mm. yeah so um, gratitude the second anchor for joy is uh, connection and that's not just on a connection you and I or connection with myself it's also connection with that something that is bigger than us connection with nature connection connection with our local community is that such a broader definition I think connection is everything I think that's yeah. been proven again so that's an anchor for joy is to feel connected and it doesn't mean you have to like you say go oh god I've got to connect with all these people it just means when you buy your coffee at your local coffee shop that you and as I know you do that you make eye contact for example oh and we say, all first name yeah, terms babe exactly yeah. Yeah. and like you with your post uh, oh, James the postman yeah your postman it's like James the postman exactly and it's like that those 
they've proven again that those small but mean and meaningful connections fill us they fill our heart with yeah. lightness and joy and then the third thing so I've got gratitude I've got connection and the third one don't let me forget it is service mm. is being in service and I just want to say something about that especially for the hardworking people that go oh Blime, it's hard enough. It's, blime, it's hard God enough. Service no, I've got well. to help other people. Oh, I'm trying to what about my boundaries? Yeah. <laughs> I've been self-sacrificing for 20 years. No, no, it's about... Service is about a recognition that you focus on something in your life, like you, Fern, your podcast is a service. And I know you roll your eyes at me and go, stop <laughs> it. But it is. It's a service. You're giving a blooming good service to millions of people to support them in their health and well-being. That is being of service in the world. And for somebody else, it might be being the best partner, friend, mother, that's a service. I mean, I would say one of the most important services in the world is to learn about how to parent and raise healthy children because mm. what the world needs is healthier adults, loving, compassionate, yeah. heart-based adults living authentically. So that's what I mean by service. It's, again, broadening the definitions of some of these words. And then it's there's all sorts of other things in the recipe around... Um, I can't remember. <laughs> There's all sorts in all there. All sorts in there. All sorts yeah, of things in yeah, that bowl. Yeah, I can just, you know, all I can say is when you cook them together, oh, they're joyful. No, well, what you have to do is say, go and buy the bloody book and then you find out yeah, the other bits exactly. of the Exactly, that was my strategy. Joy. That was my strategy. That's the plug. Um, it's beautiful. <laughs> I've just written that down because I think it's it's super important to, you could use these as pillars throughout your day to check, right, I mean, have I felt connection today? Have I even yes. done a tiny bit of service? Like, you know, make a little cake for someone or help your neighbour out or whatever it yeah. is um, and 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 also what was the other one I've written connection down twice gratitude, gratitude of course and yeah. just you know having that baseline of gratitude for the things that you know you feel very privileged or lucky to have in your life absolutely so it's a it's a beautiful way for us to end this gorgeous chat because there are so many things to be joyful about we just need to really focus on them but also be up if you can for doing the healing work. You know, I'm still doing it. I'm not sat here going, yeah, done that, done that, Donna. Yeah, tick. It's for it's forever, and I'm and I'm so grateful to have someone like you in my life to help guide me and help me and, and write beautiful books like this. So oh, thanks, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous book. Thank you for writing it, and thank you for being on Happy Place, oh, Donna Lancaster. It's been delicious. You are a recipe for joy. Thank you. Oh, I feel so lucky that I get to call Donna a friend and I'm so glad we've all got to explore her ridiculously gorgeous mind today. Thank you, Donna. You are the best. Donna's phenomenal book is a supportive programme to transform hurt and heartbreak into deep healing and wholehearted living. It's called The Bridge, a nine-step crossing into authentic and wholehearted living. And it's out right now. Now you're in for another treat next week, so make sure you're here for that by clicking the follow button on your podcast platform. And while you're tapping away on your phone, come and say hello on Instagram too. We're all very friendly. It's at Happy Place Official. Massive thanks again to Donna, to the producers of this episode, Anushka Tate and Sophie King at Rethink Audio. And to you for listening. As always, I love you and I will chat soon.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 